Uh, genocide is a new word combining the Greek word genos, genos meaning race or group, with the root of the Latin sidere meaning to kill. A report says that his regime is responsible for crimes against humanity. The one and only Holocaust. Six million innocent people, men, women, children, babies, sent to their deaths. Serious abuse, with the state showing little or no recognition of even the most basic human rights. I became interested in genocide because it happened so many times. Many wonder what it will take to bring this violence to a halt. Basic human rights be given the protection of international law. The killings in Cambodia, killings in Rwanda, the killings in Bosnia, killings in Darfur. And we are haunted by the atrocities that we did not stop. This is Atrocity Prevention Monthly, a podcast by the Sentinel Project. Hi, welcome back to Atrocity Prevention Monthly. This is Christina. And I think I'm here with, are you the executive director? Is that is that who you are, Chris? Rumor has it. <laughs> and I'm here with Tim, who is our director of technology. Yes, I am right. Okay, anyway, we had some technical difficulties just starting this podcast. So we've been sitting here for the longest time trying to figure out what happened. But now we're good. So let's get started. Um, Today's topic is on Una Hakika. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. And uh, I thought I messed it up there for a second. And uh, (laughs) we're just going to do a kind of an update on it because uh, Tim, Chris, and Adrian were recently in Kenya. And you left just after my birthday, I remember. And I felt like, and you came back. When did you come back? Just the beginning of July? Yeah. And I felt like I hadn't seen you in years. That's how long it felt. And I and every time I would talk to you, all I heard about was how sick you were feeling. And I was going, when is this ever going to stop? Like, when are you coming home? It just felt really long, really weird that you were constantly sick. And we'll get to that at one point. Two months is uh, actually 17 years in, in malaria. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And Tim, also, you were sick as well. Um, this is just crazy. We'll get to it because... I got to tell you, I feel really bad for you guys, but it also created some laughs. Sorry, at your expense. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, I just want to talk about some current events as well, because there has been a lot going on. There's always a lot going on, um, but I feel like the past few weeks, there's been a ridiculous amount of just stuff going on in the world that's got humanitarian issues written all over it um so the first thing i kind of wanted to just touch on was that the kind of the violence or the what is going on in gaza and israel between hamas and israel and everything that's going on there um i'm not the foremost on the subject but um there's over a thousand people as of today that have been killed a lot of them children which really bothers me um, just the stories that you're hearing and the pictures that I've seen, it's just ridiculous. A, a UN run school was also bombed in Gaza, which really just, I read that and I just went, okay, it, it's already bad. The whole part of it, how it's, star- I don't even know how this one started. Do you even know how this one started? No expert, but, uh, I think it was related to the murder of those three right. Israeli teenagers a couple of weeks ago. Right. Although it doesn't seem to have been related to Hamas, the Israeli government right. retaliated against them anyway. Exactly. And so 
it's just Hope I. I'm not spreading misinformation there. No, I think you're right, but uh, we're again we're not experts on you know Israel and and everything that's gone on and is continuing to go on, but um, it's in the news constantly. The UN has asked them to stop to have a ceasefire. They had a ceasefire for I don't know how many hours. I think it was yesterday or the day before that. Um, but again you know things have resumed the hostilities have resumed and it's just crazy i don't i don't really know but this this has ha- this has it's a humanitarian problem that the un has said really in the name of humanity just stop um but it they doesn't seem like, like the they do and the, a lot of people think the un is absolutely useless um and you can sit there and tell them to stop but they're not stopping um a lot of people are there's been demonstrations all over the world about it, um, protests. Um, some people, you know, if they say free Palestine, they're getting just a spew of hatred at them. And, and the thing is, the States is obviously saying that Israel has a right to defend itself. But in this case, I don't really understand this. I don't think that this, what is happening, and in terms, I think Israel, this is my opinion, they're being the aggressor. But I totally understand that Hamas isn't innocent that there's obviously things going on but in this case I just think the extent of it it's just gone way too far a thousand people in over a thousand people in three weeks is disgusting and this is I I don't know if this can be considered an atrocity but you're just looking at me like am I saying something that's not that true no the Christina hour is great to listen to what stop it go ahead then you say something no I don't really have anything too insightful to say on it I think it's a good example of Israel perhaps using the wrong means yeah. to uh, achieve their ends. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really do them any favors. No, that's it for doesn't. sure. They it might doesn't. do well, you know, divorced from the humanitarian aspects of it. They might do well to uh, consider the consequences of how they deal with these problems, even if they were justified in, in what they're doing. Um, but you know, the, the, the means are only creating more enemies. Than yes, friends. it is. No, it is. That said, the uh, the enemies that they're creating or the opponents around the world that they're creating are a whole other set of problems on, unto themselves. Because mm-hmm. for every Israeli politician you have that, you know, says stupid things on Facebook about killing all the Arabs and mm-hmm. every Palestinian is a terrorist and so on. You have just as many or more people all around the world who have no personal connection to this issue yeah. who run through the streets of Paris and smash yep. you know, Jewish shops I did and see say, that. send I did them see to that. the gas chambers. Yes, I saw that. So, yeah. yeah. People's reaction to this uh, particular issue is interesting, to say the least. It is. Um, I did see that in Paris. Freaked me out a little bit, got to admit, um, because I'm currently reading a book about um a auschwitz survivor he was a child there uh eventually i'll probably get to that when i'm done it um but uh so it did freak me out when i saw that um but it, they are creating enemies and geez i just hope it stops soon enough this does not look good it doesn't seem like it's stopping today there was still more going on and because i was reading it on the bbc um so it's scary something else that happened and it's just crazy. The aviation 
disasters that have gone on this past year is just insane. They still never found that Malaysia Airlines flight. I forget what, what number was. Was it 370? Whatever it was. That they still haven't found. Then there's another Malaysian plane that goes down uh, last week in Ukraine. And that just went sparked. Okay, who? Ha- what happened here? And they've said, yes, it was shot down. Um, the BBC said it was shot down by shrapnel. Like, essentially... That's what happened. Shrapnel hit it. And I think they said, so they do think that it was at um, ground to missile air <laughs> hold dealy. I can't, I'm not uh, the best on this. Missile. Yes, thank yeah. you. And uh, so they're saying that that's what it was. Um, the whole question is who did it? And they're pretty certain it was pro Russian separatists. Um, the thing is, is that. You know, Putin got a lot of slack after this because apparently they think he might have given the word to do it. Um, they, of course, have said that they thought it was, you know, you, Ukraine. I think you were saying that they thought it was um, some Ukraine soldiers. Uh, that was just one thing I saw somebody post online. It was a supposed interview with one of the guys who okay. supposedly fired the missile and he said that they were told by their superiors that it was a troop transport full of ukrainian soldiers right i don't know if that's true i mean if that were the case then legally speaking it would have been a legitimate target and maybe the guys pressing the fire button thought that they were not killing a bunch of civilians i don't really know so yeah i i really don't know anything about the topic to be honest beyond the headlines but uh it's not it's not too clear who was responsible or if somebody was intentionally shooting down a civilian airliner, why they were doing that. Right. I don't really know what has anybody has to gain in this scenario by well sh- shooting down a Malaysian airplane full of Dutch people and obviously others too. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I just the, don't know why that would happen. They're saying that there was this one on the news that they were saying, well, they would do this to bring attention back to what's going on in between, you know, Ukraine and Russia and the pro separatists and everything that's going on there. Um, because after it happened, each side started to blame the other. So, um, the so separatists in Russia, and they yeah, they said, "Hey, pay attention. attention to me." I don't, I don't fully believe that. No, but the that thing is, is that right? But the thing is, is that um, you know, they each side starts blaming the other. It's just overblown, and we don't know really what happened. We don't know if Putin said yes to do it. Uh, Chris, you were saying, I highly doubt that was what happened. Um, I don't think we'll ever find out what happened here. Um, it's a horrible tragedy, but I don't really think we'll ever find out. I think what really sickens me though, I saw pictures and you could see these pro pro Russia separatists going through the rubble and they were taking rings off people's fingers and going through their luggage and, and all that sort of thing. That was what I just sat there shaking my head going, how could you even think that that's okay? But that's a completely separate story. That's just yeah. people well, acting. Where did you see those? I saw them. Jeez, I don't know where I saw them. Okay. I asked I was because just surfing. despite what some people will tell you, pictures and video can lie. Oh, I know. And uh, especially with some of the images that we've seen come out of um, Burma lately related to completely a completely separate thing. Uh, people very much do use pictures and videos to yeah. lie and present things out of context and so on. I like wouldn't some doubt it. Similar videos of Ukrainian rebels, probably uh, picking through the rubble and whatnot. You know, were presented as 
as looters or people desecrating the dead and so on. But in fact, they were just doing what you would do to clean up a cra- an airplane crash site. In I some did cases. see, so, right. Yeah. I did see a video on a news source. Um, I'm just very skeptical of anything, especially anything that uh, shows up in my Facebook news feed. Oh, no, it wasn't on my face. It totally wasn't my Facebook news feed. I know that that's not what it was. Um, But the thing is, is that I did see a video uh, apparently filmed by the separatists in the area right after the plane had gone down and they were filming it and they were going through. They were walking through the rubble and, you know, it was still on fire and, and whatnot. And they were saying, apparently... They were saying, get the black boxes. We need the black boxes. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where it ends. Um, so there's certain things. I I don't think that's doctored at all. But um, it just, I don't know. That's a completely separate thing. It just really grossed me out if that was indeed true. Um, right. But the thing is, why I brought this up today is that the UN has said, I saw this headline today, that they've said that it, this may be considered a war crime. If it was indeed shot down by, and I guess, you know, by the command of Russia, they said to shoot it down this can or Ukraine, but I I highly doubt it was um, because they're saying that that ground to air missile was supplied to the separatists by Russia. So, so the whole thing is that they were saying that this may end up being considered a war crime. And we'll have to see, but I, I just think, you know, what's going to happen It's just going to quiet down. Nothing's going to be said about this anymore, and that's it. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's also entirely possible that it was an accident. I mean, that's, it a, could, that's a pretty it, plausible It is plausible. Explanation, too. It is. Yeah. But for some reason, I'm always super skeptical, and I'm not sure. I don't know if I would think it's completely an accident. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, what's the simplest explanation? It's always the right one. It's always the right what one. Is it? Well, not always, but... In this case, what is the simplest explanation? That, that it was an accident? I would think so. Mm. It would certainly not be the first time in history that an airliner has been shot down accidentally. Absolutely. There were, you know, United States uh, once shot down accidentally, uh, what was it, an Iranian airliner that had the same radar signature as a, an F-16, which mm. Iran had at that time and was heading right towards, a, you know, a U.S. naval ship in mm-hmm. the Gulf. Um there's been a few. There were, yeah, there are a few examples of that throughout, you yeah. know, recent history. So uh-huh. it's not entirely far-fetched to think that it might have just been an accident. Yeah, because yeah. that happened. The Soviets shot down a Korean yep. plane. Yeah. It was at the 80s. Yeah. Something like that. So there have been, you know, because they thought it was something else. Yes. Yeah. So maybe, but I don't know. I just, I'm super skeptical on this one. But uh, you may be right. We'll see. I don't know if we'll ever see, though. I don't yeah, know if we'll ever find know. out. I really don't know. Um, and so something else I wanted to talk about before we got into Unahakika and your trip to Montreal was that what has been going on in Africa and Kenya, there's been a lot going on in terms of activity. And I thought was hoping you've been talking about it to me, but I was hoping you could explain what's been going on because you said it's very dangerous right now. It's not a good thing. Oh, yeah. Um, well, our little corner of Kenya has gotten more violent than it normally is Um, because right after we left this last time there was a massacre in a place called Mpeketoni and that's near uh, Lamu which is a big uh, it's going to be a big port city on the coast of Kenya it's kind of a tourist area right now and uh, what happened basically was that and this is roughly a three-hour drive from where we usually stay in Tana 
And what happened was that a group of armed men of some sort came into the area one night and over the course of around 10 hours, they killed 60 something um, people kind of rounding them up, targeting specifically um, non-Muslim men, um, predominantly also from one particular ethnic group, it would seem. Uh, so nobody's really clear on on who was responsible for this and so on, because Al-Shabaab, the Somali uh, terrorist uh, group, militant group, uh, claimed responsibility for it, but they are, and so they have, a, up to this point at least, a track record of 100% uh, of the time that they claim responsibility for something. It turns out that they're right. They mm. don't, they're not like some terrorist organizations that just claim that everything was their, their handiwork. Mm -hmm. Um, so that makes it look like it was them, but if that's the case, then it was a real departure from their usual tactics and, and so on. Uh, so nobody is quite clear on that. And then after that one, over the following several days, there were a few other uh, attacks, and they moved kind of progressively inland. Uh, so they were smaller in scale, but getting closer and closer to where we work as well, mm -hmm. until the final one was in a place called uh, Gamba, where I've actually spent the night a couple of times, mm -hmm. and uh, it's maybe a 20-minute drive away from where we usually usually stay. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's getting to be a, a sort of a tense situation, I guess, and we're, without knowing who really is behind it, whether it's local ethnic violence or if it is al-Shabaab or some kind of hybrid, uh, you know, explanation of those two. It's hard to know how that, one, what's going to happen next, and then two, also how that impacts uh, what we're doing as very visibly foreigners in the area, mm -hmm. uh, an area where we have been <laughs> investigated by the local police <laughs> as suspected CIA <laughs> agents and also had, uh, m more concerningly, more seriously, uh, had imams uh, speak out apparently against what we're doing. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure what that means for our personal security in the right. future. Right, yeah. yeah. It's close to home. It's just like close to home. Quite literally, yeah. That's scary. Yeah, so that's kind of the news from there. Fortunately, in the last few weeks, there haven't really been any uh, any further attacks. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, the security forces there are not the most competent or mm, well-resourced. Doesn't, so doesn't sound like it from your story. Yeah, so I don't really know how they're going to be able to, to deal with this or how effectively they'll deal with it, but we'll see. Are you nervous to go back? Um, yeah, I don't know if nervous is, is the right idea, but uh, apprehensive. I think mm -hmm. it'll change a little bit about how we do things, mm -hmm. but I'm not due to go back for a little while yet, so we'll see how it plays out. Interesting. It certainly is relevant to our work, though, because mm -hmm. you can imagine in a in a place like that, where people already are very sort of, you know, information starved and reliant on rumors and so on, and generally living sort of in fear of other types of violence as well, and then this sort of thing happens. Um, yeah. Rumors. There are just tons more that that go around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the last time we were there, so before these most recent attacks happened, but when we were there in May and June, we already had rumor reports that the town we were staying in had Al-Shabaab people sighted in it. I don't really know how people, like if you went back to the person who started that rumor, how they would decide that somebody looks like they're from Al-Shabaab yeah. or not. But, you know, like that was that was already coming up. So I can only imagine that, that now, um, after, you know, there have been actual serious attacks in the area 
possibly or probably linked to al-Shabaab, how people are sort of um, peddling in, in speculation and rumor. Right. Yeah. Well, before we get to Unhakika and talking about the rumors, uh, what were you doing in Montreal? <laughs> uh, what just, do you think you were doing there? Uh, yeah, I just I got invited to give a speech at this like conference. I forget what it was called. It had some some large name, the World Conference, World Student Conference on Human Rights. Okay. Yeah, it's for international baccalaureate students, so they were all like uh, kind of keen teenagers who. Got to come here from, <laughs> got to come go to Montreal from, what was that for? <laughs> Your they got, face was so They got to go to, to Montreal from various different countries around the world, and they spent the week, uh, you know, learning about human rights and so on, and then their last day was focused on, um, what was it, technology and kind of the future of human rights and, and so on. And that's where you came in? Yeah, so I was the one who gave the sort of the big talk to kick off the day, and then they went off and did their own things. Did they say it was boring? No, but you could see it in their eyes. <laughs> they didn't have to say it. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, it was not bad. So I went to Montreal. And you had a good time. It was not bad. Not bad. Do you mean the conference I was at or the or like the speaking I was doing? That was just, good. Just the entire experience. You said you liked it. You said you had a good time. You like Montreal. It's not a bad city. I like it. I like yeah. it as well. I do think it's a good city. Don't know if I'd move there. It's bigger than I Really? Thought. You didn't think it was that big? No. I mean, I didn't think it was small also, but I didn't. It was the you first didn't realize? It was the first time I had ever flown there, so I saw the scale of it. I had always driven oh, there before. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've actually only ever been on the train of gone. Yeah. Get, gone so I in. so I flew this time and saw how large it was. Oh, it's right. like 3 million people. Didn't know that. Thought it it's was one maybe. Thought it was closer a, to Ottawa size. No. Than Toronto size, but it's more no, Toronto. No, it's more Toronto, definitely. Um, the newer area of it reminds me of Toronto. Oh. Big time. Not the old, obviously, old Montreal is, bleh, that's Europe in North America to me. It's just crazy. But then you just walk a few streets over and over there, and then, oh, geez, everything is so modern and it looks totally like Toronto. But I don't know. I do like Montreal. I think the food is really good in Montreal. I don't know if you ate anything crazy, but I just think the food. It's always really things. good there. You ate stuff. Oh, but I you're like starve. a vegetarian, so it doesn't really work out. It would be different if you ate meat. Yeah. You were bad like me and ate meat. No meat for me. No meat. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so let's move on to Unahakika. Let's do it. So, Tim, you're, you're so quiet. I'm like hot. Unahakika? Is that you want to do that? I it means are you sure? I you am. You should sh- know that. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, you good. should know that you're like quizzing me from Let's our meeting. Let's move on then. Now that you're meeting. sure. <laughs> the remainder of the podcast will be in Swahili. <laughs> oh, well, then I'm screwed. That's I think we all are. Oh, geez. Not you. Do you speak Swahili too? I do not. Oh, then we're both. Let's not say I speak screwed. it. That's a gross overstatement. But you were writing in it. You could write. You were talking to, to yeah. your friend there. It's a slow process, though. It's a slow process. I need to practice more. Well, it sounds like me in French. Mm. Big time. Uh, so anyway, Tim, I've been hogging this. There, let's just move this a little closer. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry. Am I too close? No. All right, we're Perfect. good. Uh, okay, so let's do a rundown. So what was the work right. being done this time? Yeah, Tim, what were we doing? I don't want to talk anymore. I, I'm really sick of your voice. 
that makes at least <laughs> two of us. Uh, yeah, th this was a, uh, a busy couple of weeks for us. Um, we were uh, visiting a lot of communities that uh, uh, Chris and previous team members had, had been in um, on previous trips and uh, uh, recruiting and uh, training community ambassadors. Um, which was uh, which is really a, an interesting process. We we had a lot more people uh, show up than uh, than I thought we were going to have. I don't know if it met your expectations, Chris, but uh, yeah, it exceeded them a bit actually. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, and of course for me, the, it was the uh, the first trip to the region, um, and uh, and I kind of saw it uh, through through fresh eyes. You know, we were talking earlier about about violence, and and although um, we didn't actually. Uh, experience any any violence while we were there certainly the the intimations of violence were, were there and were very perceptible in um in the impact that it had on the the people that we met with so so that was particularly fascinating to me um so yeah i i, uh, I think uh, overall it was a successful trip uh, until the last few days and <laughs> and we all kind of lost some some time to uh, to illness um but uh, other than that, I think we, we accomplished a lot. It was also was a good opportunity for us to start field testing uh, our WikiRumors software. Um, and uh, we had that set up before we left on the trip, and we could actually start streaming real data through it. And uh, I, I'm happy to see now that we've got a fair bit of traction with the site and, and a, a good deal of data in there now. So um, overall, you know, from my perspective, I'd consider it a pretty successful trip. Again, until the last I, I was just going to say that. Uh, until, so this is a good, uh, time to start talking about challenges, the challenges that you face with field work. Um, you know, the Sentinel project, we're moving more towards the field work, um, doing more of that. So really, I think this trip highlights big time, the challenges that you face actually being on the ground and trying to do the work. So tell me, so Tim, you had dengue, am I saying that right, dengue fever? Uh, dengue fever. Dengue fever. Yeah. Two, two of us had dengue fever, one of us had malaria. I can't remember, does dengue also fall out of the sky like malaria does? <laughs> it does indeed. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, Chris. So you want an so umbrella. I, I'm sorry, but it just cracks me up that you had a conversation with someone there um, talking about how you were trying to explain that, you know, you can get malaria through mosquitoes, mosquito bites. That's the only way you get malaria. Oh, fact. yes. Yeah. And, uh, but no, apparently not. That is not the only way, Chris. No, that's, that's actually not even one of the ways, apparently. No, no. no. That's stupid of you to say. You Mosquitoes are responsible. It's just, it's in the rain. Yes, it's in the rain. That's why there's the more when it rains. Like, how did you it's not? It's not because the mosquitoes breed in the How did water. you not know that beforehand? I don't know. You know what? You learn a lot. You learn a lot going places. Yeah. Uh, but you were told that, no, it comes from the rain, and you were trying to explain, no. Yeah. It's been proven. It's a little surprising in a place where people get it constantly. Exactly. And it's a big part of life and death for a lot of people as well. You'd think that education around that would be better, but apparently not for everyone, which is unfortunate. So, Chris, you were the one that had malaria. Yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> So exactly what happened to you? Like, how long were you out for? Like, what? how could you get anything done? Oh, we didn't really get anything done. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was maybe a week of being sick, three or four days of that being pretty intense. And, like, I didn't really eat for three or four days. And, yeah, 
Yeah, so there was that. Uh, I don't know. The symptoms are just kind of like, I guess, influenza. Yeah. Yeah, like headaches and fever and chills and mm -hmm. other gastrointestinal issues, which I actually didn't suffer from, but that's usually part of it. Right, um, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty much it. And then we were lucky that there's a new clinic in town, um, so that's that's good. They mm -hmm. had actual doctors, which prior to that, I mean, that must bring up the number of doctors per capita they have there quite a bit. Because I think it used to be like one doctor for oh, every 100,000 people in Tonto River County or something like that. Oh, no. Yeah, it was some ridiculously low number. Um, so, yeah, they have... Which is crazy when, when, when you think about the incidence of, of malaria and dengue. Yeah. Because, you know, uh -huh. I was looking at the... Uh, I, I knew nothing about dengue beforehand, and then I looked it up, and there's something like uh, 3 million infections a year of dengue fever all across the world. 6,000 dead. A year. Wow. Yeah. That is something. And so, so you're saying that there were more doctors there now? Yeah, there seemed to be. They had a, they had a new uh, clinic in the place where we stay, and there were at least two doctors who were working there who were not from the area. They had, like, come out from Nairobi. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that was better. They still seem to have – well, I guess they misdiagnosed you guys because they didn't tell you there that you had dengue. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we all had malaria, according to the yeah. test there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had lots of medication and whatnot to give us. Although, he put us, he put Adrian and I on antidepressants to help us sleep. And uh, I think he, I think the dose he gave us was too, <laughs> too much. When So, Tim went home early because he was just going home before us anyway. And uh, so, we had to drive him one, one day to Mombasa, which is like a five or six hour drive away. Mm -hmm. And... It was really difficult. So I had taken one of these pills, or maybe two of these pills, the night oh, before. Geez, he two. told us to take two. Really? Yeah. Whoa. So but he did not say take it with whiskey. No, he didn't. Well, but that's I mean, a big problem. You're not supposed any, to have any alcohol with I those. I didn't have any water, <laughs> and there might have been malaria in it if I had. So <laughs> I didn't want to get more of that. Yeah. Yeah, so I uh, took two of those the night before and slept for like nine or ten hours and could barely wake up the next morning to get in the car. And then, so we had like a Land Cruiser this time, so there were just benches in the back. And Adrian and I, Tim was in the front seat and Adrian and I were in the back. And we had a driver, so we didn't have to worry about driving ourselves. And we laid down, and before I think we had even really left town, we were asleep. And we woke up basically five hours later in Mombasa and said goodbye to Tim at the airport. And then we got back in the truck and started driving and we fell asleep and woke up like three or four hours later in a place called Malindi where the driver wanted to get the car repaired for a couple hours. So we went to a restaurant and I had no appetite. So I just sat there like struggling to stay awake for a couple hours till oh. he came back. And then we got back in it and like slept for another couple hours till we got back and then went to bed and then slept like until the next day. So basically slept for like 36 hours or something like that. Well, okay. On the one hand, I do think those antidepressants had something, a part to play in that. I think it was totally but, because of that. But hold on. So your I, body, what I'm trying to say is you were medical sick, though. attention was not necessarily the best. But you were sick though. Yeah, we were sick. So your body also, still needs rest. So it might not have been all of that, but. It like, would have been fine to like lay in bed for a day and a half solid, but not to be in a truck. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. It was interesting. I'm so, you never told I me that. I think he gave us too much. Oh, there's no doubt about it that he gave you too much. And then we, uh, so Adrian, we both, we all got better, or at least, well, Tim was home recovering. At but home. hold on. And then Adrian and I seemed to get better. So. And he started getting sick again. So hold on. Yeah. So you guys go to this clinic mm -hmm. and they say all three of you have malaria? Yes. 
and then but how so then you get injections for three days plus like other medications to deal with the symptoms okay and then but how did you tim find out that you had dengue so, so when i came back i went to um uh to mount sinai hospital uh -huh. here in toronto and uh we're, we're you know they were wonderful pretty much everybody i dealt with had had a, a, some experience with tropical diseases and they diagnosed me pretty quickly i was out of there in five hours went home and and like you i i slept and this was a consequence of the disease, uh, of the disease. I slept for 17 hours straight, apparently without moving. My wife was actually putting pennies on my eyes, so it was it was really the end. <laughs> and then after 17 hours without moving, you know, I was uh, felt significantly better, which just goes to show you that when you spend 24 hours in the air and don't sleep, you really do need one way or another 17 hours of sleep. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to know how Adrian found out he had had dengue? Yes. Let's let tell me. Tell me, please, because at uh, first I just thought it was malaria, and then I was speaking to you, and I think you were in Burma. Yeah, so... Um, oh, no, you were not in Burma yet. You were in Thailand, weren't you? Yeah, we, I think we would have been in Thailand. Yeah, it was point. Thailand. Yeah, so um, so Adrian and I got better, and I got better and stayed better for the most part, and then he started to get sick again with, like, slightly different symptoms. So we were going to Burma after this. We went to Thailand and then Burma, and we had, like, a day in Nairobi before leaving the country so we went back there and we went to a doctor at like a decent enough clinic like downtown nairobi it wasn't like the best hospital in town by far but it also certainly was not the worst mm -hmm. and he went and talked to the guy uh they told him he had bacterial tonsillitis which basically is strep throat yeah and then uh we were like okay well whatever that's fine i mean that's not a serious thing and you get over it and it's a totally plausible thing that you could have but the doctor's explanation of how he likely got it kind of indicated the quality of care that we were receiving. Because um, he he said, you have bacterial tonsillitis. Uh, this was probably caused, quote, by taking cold drinks. Oh, unquote. okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if he knows what bacterial means. Because, <laughs> honestly, we could have gone to, like, a witch doctor or somebody's grandmother. And they would have just told us, well, you got a chill, so... Um, now you're diseased. Yeah, so not not good. But they gave him a bunch of <clears throat> what ultimately were ineffective medications because they misdiagnosed him. Yeah. We um, got on a plane to Thailand, and after a day or two in Bangkok, he was just getting sicker and sicker. So we went to an actual Bangkok is just like a whole other level of development above, um, you know, above Nairobi. So yeah. we went to an actual like world class hospital where you would get the same level of care that you would get basically here. And uh, and they told him he had dengue. So he ended up recovering for another few days and then going home straight from there. So mm -hmm. he did not make it to Burma, unfortunately. But, yeah, it was uh, it was too bad. <laughs> you guys had... It took a while, though, for him to find out wow. what he actually had. wasn't wasn't tonsillitis from having cold drinks. Wow. And, Tim, you were saying just before we started the podcast that you spoke to adrian you said he's doing better now he is i don't know if he's avoiding cold drinks at this point <laughs> he sounded better to me oh my gosh and then dengue if you get that one again you might be in trouble yeah well yeah that's that, the that, worst part that, that's that's the other thing is that uh, there are what four <clears throat> i think four variants of dengue and all there, of there's a fifth one they just found in malaysia but apparently oh, it's not wonderful. dangerous to humans yet it will That's be. Excellent. Okay. Uh, so yeah, apparently, when you catch dengue, you become 
immunized to the strain that you got, which is great, um, but increased likelihood of getting uh, um, serious complications if you get any of those. Now, the odds still of, of catching dengue from a mosquito are pretty remote, um, but if you kind of uh, follow the, the chain of probabilities all the way to the end, the mortality rate is, is through the roof, so um, definitely gives us a uh, pause about uh, doing further work uh, yeah. in approximately a third of the world that has had uh, dengue outbreaks. Right. Yeah. If you... Uh if you do get all four, though, and survive. Well, you get a free one. Yeah, then you're. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I took that. I knew you were leading up to it. <laughs> uh, well, I was just going to say then you're, you're immune to all of them. But, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah. If you get all the stamps on your card, then you get another <laughs> one. It's that fifth one that they discovered. By that point, it might actually be dangerous yeah. to humans. So that's the, that's well, the reward. Yeah. The, the good news is that they, they are actually working on, uh, on a vaccine that's in uh, clinical trials in Southeast Asia. I think it's got very limited efficacy so far, and it's only for some of the variants. But that's it's encouraging. Yeah, it's early days. And if they're making some progress, then one could be optimistic that in a few years from now they're making more progress. And I will definitely get it as soon yeah. as it's out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you, get <clears throat> if you get it again and then you get the – hemorrhagic fever it's not too pleasant it's not like guaranteed to kill you but it's elevated mortality and like you just bleed to death basically that's the hemorrhagic part do you get that from drinking a cold drink you might oh. you might yeah extremely cold. yeah it's oh, got to be really that, cold that, okay yeah yeah so if you have two cold drinks in a row and they have <laughs> a lot of ice in them <laughs> okay but yeah shouldn't be laughing at this but um well, it's good to see no, you guys. We, we actually should be laughing at that doctor in Nairobi. Yes, who absolutely. Terrible laughing at, his job, at that. Actually. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But not laughing at what you guys went through. But um, it's good to see you guys feeling better and awake. Mm. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Since then. Yeah. I mean, it was health wise, at least, it was all uphill from there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so let's just move back to what you actually got done <clears throat> the days that you weren't sleeping or feeling utterly gross mm. so where have we what have we seen now through the information that we've gotten uh so in terms of what we actually got done uh i guess tim explained a bit about what we were doing mm -hmm. training the training the ambassadors the community ambassadors who are the human face of una hakika um we have a, around 190 of those now in 16 different villages. So fortunately, I think we've started to see more data coming in mm -hmm. as a result of them, you know, getting more reports of rumors from people in the population. <clears throat> Tim, have you looked recently at what the uh, the reports are that we're getting or kind of what the data is? I, I've seen the data flowing in, but, uh, and, and pretty good turnaround on the data, but I don't know what the current numbers are. Um, and, and obviously, the, they've been uh, impacted by the recent violence in uh, in southern Kenya. Yeah, which is not really directly related to the issue that we're addressing, but is definitely going to to appear in there. Okay. Yeah. And when are you going back? Mm, I don't know. Sometime later this year. And we Tim, haven't really planned it out yet. You won't be going back this time, will you? No, I think I think I'm going to be uh, working in the back office next time. <laughs> Yeah, oh. it'll probably be Adrian and I again, if he's available. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. We'll okay. for some more adventures in East Africa. Yeah. We like it there. <laughs> well, gosh, I hope, you know, you guys are healthy throughout, throughout that entire trip. 
Yeah, I this hope one to just also seemed... remain bullet and explosion free. Yes, that possible. as well. That as well. Don't yeah. drink any cold drinks. No, I okay? won't. Don't walk outside in the rain. Fortunately, it's not too hard to avoid cold drinks there. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll see what happens, I guess, next time you go back. We'll do an update. Yeah, we'll be a year into Unahaki yes, at that point. Which is so good. we'll have, a, I think, a better idea. Really, at this point, um, or up until the end of this visit, we were in the phase or the mode of setting everything up. Right. So, like, all the different infrastructure of the project, really, whether that's human or technical or otherwise. And so now, I mean, there's a lot more work to be done in terms of, you know, promoting it and getting the subscriber base, growing the subscriber base. But really, the setup is is done. All the pieces are in place. So now it's just kind of, you know, keeping it running, keeping it running effectively, trying to achieve our objectives and uh, learning from it yeah. as well. Well, it so, seems like yeah. you guys are both very happy with the progress that has been made with Unahikika. Reasonably yeah, happy. Yeah. <laughs> There was, there was a level of information that, that you can only really get from being there, for, for me anyways, having, having built the, the WikiRumor software. And then to actually go and, and see data coming in and being part of that process uh, was great. And, and to be able to sit there and actually start hot swapping out fixes uh, was, was pretty valuable. Yeah. It makes a difference to just go and see how, how people are, are using it and the conditions in which they're using it. And to know that sometimes there are three-day blackouts, and that really influences how people, you know, are able to communicate and so uh -huh, on. Uh-huh, Yeah. Well, um, it's good to know. Yeah. It's good oh, to know that we're doing well. While we were there, yeah. you may remember from in the past, in a previous cast of the pods, that we <laughs> uh, talked about the, the survey we did earlier this yes, year. Yes, yes. And how we highlighted that kind of information gap where people, like, know a lot about their village and they know a lot about the country, but they don't know much about their neighboring villages and so on. Uh -huh. And we kind of explained that partially by highlighting how there's no uh, local media, no radio station or anything in the area. Yes. Well, while we were there this time, I got an email from a, a British NGO that just happened to also be in the area. And they're setting up a community radio station in Tana River County. So Yeah, that's right. You were mentioning that. Yeah, so they, they invited us to go to this kind of public consultation they were doing to just, you know, talk to people before they actually set up the station. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us ended up getting to go because it was in another town that's kind of an arduous drive away, and this was the week we were all sick. sick. But John and Christine, uh, who are like the Kenya-based staff members for Nahakika, they went. And it sounds pretty promising. Um, I've heard from them since then. They're just like getting their uh, their sort of their radio license and all that stuff set up. But hopefully by the end of this year, they'll have the the radio station actually up and running. So between that and Unahakika and however they might be able to fit, you know, together, I think we'll we'll be making some good progress towards yeah. closing that information gap or filling that in there. So hopefully that has many benefits. Uh, mm -hmm. One of which is to reduce the risk of violence. Yep. That's good. That's a good partnership. Yeah, it is. I'm. I'm. That just kind of fell into our laps. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that that uh, that happened and that they had somehow discovered us yes, and that exactly. we just happened to be in town, so to speak, at the same time. Right. Yeah. I think actually the guy who had emailed me is going to be passing through here in a month or so. Maybe he'd like to be on a podcast. Yeah. I'll definitely. Ask him. Yeah. yeah, definitely ask him. That would be great. So we are doing well in Kenya for the most part. Yeah. Minus the violence that's gone on, but uh, our work there is going quite well, it sounds. I'd say so. So then you decided all of a sudden 
I get uh, I get this message from you, Chris, that says, "Hey, you want to go to Burma?" And you and didn't. I was going, I did not. <laughs> it's not to say that you know I'm against going anywhere, but uh, I couldn't go. But uh, you also then said, "Well, no, that you guys were thinking of going to Burma." Now, there was a fundraising campaign that went on, which I so happily donated to. Thanks. You're welcome. You made it happen. Did you buy your lunch with that money? Probably. <laughs> and probably so probably paid for one of those times I had to go have like an expensive snack at a fancy hotel just to find internet that actually works. Yeah. Because yeah. you were saying there was problems with that. Yeah, it's they're they're getting better, but they're really behind there in terms of communications infrastructure, Jeez. especially like mobile phones and the internet. It was a drastic, drastic step down from Kenya. Wow, I'm yeah. surprised, honestly. They wouldn't expect that. But um, so there was a fundraising campaign. Would you consider that a success? Yeah, I mean, we didn't hit our target for it. That's that's a fact. But it definitely helped to offset some of the costs. Right. And, uh, and that's very much appreciated for anybody who's listening that contributed to that. You're like very you welcome. right here. You're very yeah. welcome. That definitely <laughs> definitely helped things. And hopefully the money that we, uh, that we spent – uh, to go go there and do what we did, whether it's you know came from that fundraiser or just out of our other funds, that that was money well spent, and that the investment will uh, will lead to to more that we can actually do in relation to Burma. So this was really just about getting to know kind of the conditions right. in the country. Exactly. So you went there to kind of scope out the scene, to yes. see what it's like, and so what did you think coming out of it? Um, can we work there? What can we do? Is there anything we can do? Because you did mention in our meeting that it's a bit it's tricky. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different circumstance from what we're accustomed to in Kenya, that's for sure. So we'll see where things go. Um, Burma is very different because it has, of course, the government is very different. Although the country is opening up, it's not nearly as open as, as Kenya. Um, it's, you know, ostensibly a democracy now and so on, but that is a work in progress and the military is still very very influential in how things are run like i said also uh you know technologically speaking the the technological landscape there is a lot rougher than it is in pretty much anywhere in africa to be honest but particularly kenya um, mobile phone ownership is still very very low mm -hmm. uh, a lot cheaper and more accessible than it was even just a few years ago but still difficult um or still you know more expensive than it it should be or you know than it ought to be if you're wanting a lot, a lot of people in the population to get access uh internet access if you do get it once again unless you go to like the most expensive like hotels and restaurants in town that are catered towards foreigners you're not really going to get a very good connection it's going to be slow if it works at all etc so yeah people there uh, who do use the internet or use mobile phones for their for any reason are at a significant disadvantage because there are just a lot of difficulties kind of put in their way. Um, but it seems like it's it's going to get better. Uh, the mobile phone situation in particular is going to improve later this year because there are two foreign companies that are coming in and making their services available. So that should hopefully help to improve things. I think. Within the next three or four years, they're aiming to have like 80% plus of the country using mobile phones, which is not 
not impossible, though it's ambitious, mm -hmm. from their like probably below 10% that they have right now. Mm. So yeah, that's that's kind of what it's like, but it's um, it's just not the same kind of favorable conditions that we find elsewhere. And where, in terms of yeah. benchmarking, Kenya's about 80% now, is it not? Yeah, I think, well, ta our survey showed that Tana was around 80% for people who own mobile phones. Uh, Kenya, as a whole, I think, actually is higher than that. I think it's like 90%. So I'm guessing that's 90% of adults, not just 90% of all Kenyans. But yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Kenya's right up there. It's pretty much as saturated with mobile phones as you can get. And although they're seen as, you know, being kind of a leader within sub-Saharan Africa, um, you know, the non-leading countries are not really that far behind is my impression. Um, so yeah, pretty much everywhere in Africa you find really high rates of mobile phone usage and, you know, rapidly increasing levels of internet usage as well. And Burma, I'm sure we'll catch up to that eventually, or Myanmar, as the kids are saying these days. Um, but they're definitely not there yet. So yeah kind of uh goes against i think a lot of people's maybe stereotypes i i mean most people probably don't have much in the way of stereotypes of burma to be honest but when people think of africa they don't necessarily think of somewhere that's you know just blowing another place out of the water in terms of technology and you know accessibility for all levels of society but that's exactly they are, that's exactly way behind africa yeah. and definitely way behind their neighbors like going from thailand to burma it's oh a, yeah a massive contrast so, wow yeah Okay, so you're going back to Burma? Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see now. We really need to, like I said, like this was really just us getting kind of to know the conditions there, both, you know, like human and logistical and technological and all that, and then seeing if there's anything we can do to assist in some way, you know, the, the, the situation. Um, so we achieved kind of some of those objectives in terms of getting to know what the place is like. I don't know necessarily where things are going to go from here. We have, I mean, some ideas on what the Sentinel Project's involvement in Burma may be going forward, but can't really can't really say right now what that might look like. Mm -hmm. So so we'll see. But it was a worthwhile a worthwhile visit um, to do, but for sure. Kind of replicating what had served us well in Kenya before, just kind of going in without any preconceived uh, notions or, you know, sort of any ideas about what solutions what solutions would be but really just trying to understand the problem more effectively first because a lot of people were saying like oh you know whatever is happening in burma what is it that you guys want to do about it and i think some perhaps were unsatisfied with the answer i we don't know like that's what we're here to think about maybe mm -hmm. but that's how it should be like can't just go around you know with a with a tool looking or you know with a particular answer looking for problems to try and fit it into right yeah. Well, it seems like we're doing well, you've done really good work. It was a no, good idea. It was all you. It was a really good idea to go to Burma, I will say that, although you weren't too impressed with it. It rained a lot. It did. It the pictures looked yeah. A lot a lot. It looked quite like quite eight times a day sometimes. Doom like. Yeah, it was very <laughs> ominous. Doomsday. At all times. Um like uh but um there's been progress in Kenya, which is great. Good to hear. Good to see you guys back. Um, we'll see what's going to happen next time. Um, and also, hopefully, we will be able to help in Burma. Um, but that's all for today, folks. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Tim.
Thank you. <laughs> oh, and thank credits. you, whatever your name is. Yeah, thank me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming out. Uh, so I guess we'll see you guys next time. This is Atrocity Prevention Monthly. Bye. Please visit our website at www.thesentinelproject.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stop genocide or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash sentinel project.